0: All right. How's everyone doing tonight? Sweet. Um, I'm going to go ahead. uh, There's a spring camp out gear list that um, needs to get passed around. So if you have like tents or anything like Kayla was talking about, go ahead and write your name down on this. um, And then I'll get it from or put it in the back when it's done. All right, so how are you guys doing tonight? Good, good. Um, so we're going to get started. Um, and I really want to start by telling you guys a little bit about high school Meredith. Yeah, get excited. It's going to be so good. <laughs> um, anyway, when I was in high school, I was pretty obsessed with animals. So I loved like showing dogs and riding horses as often as I could. So um, high school me was like, well, if I enjoy this so much... Why don't I like look for a major, um, and so I can major in like studying animals? I don't know why, but that made a lot of sense in my brain back then. Um, so I found this program uh, at Montana State University uh, called the Equine Science Program. So basically, you got to go to school to study horses. Like, how cool is that, right? Um, and the most, the main thing that I was excited about was this one class called Foal Training. Okay. So that basically means that for an entire year, you get to train a baby horse that looks like that. Okay? Right? So that's like adorable, and like I love horses, and so how can it get any better than taking a class called full training and getting to train that for an entire year? So needless to say, I was pretty excited about going to this college. The only catch was that it was out of state. Um, At the time, I lived in Washington, like I do now, um, and uh, I needed to qualify for a scholarship called the WUI Scholarship, which would basically make out-of-state tuition the same as in-state tuition. Uh, And in order to qualify for the scholarship, I had to get a high enough score on the SAT or ACT. So I was bound and determined to like go to this college and get to do full training. Um, and so I set out to get the best possible score on the ACT that I could. Uh, so I studied. Like, you know most people go and take these tests and they like go the day of and they're like, sweet, I got the score. Good to go. Let's go to college. Like, that was not me. I studied so hard. I bought like the big, thick study guide that was like this thick. I did the practice tests every day. I like, did all the quizzes. I studied for months for this test, okay? So the big day comes, I go into the testing center, which was, like, a big deal for me because I was homeschooled, so, like, anytime you get to go to a school, that was really cool. Um, And so I go in, I take the test, feel like I did pretty good, uh, and a couple weeks later, I get the results, and I was two points short. Two points, guys, two points! Um... But it was OK. I was like still determined to go to this school. So I was like, OK, I'll just study more. So I studied more. I did more practice tests. I did everything I possibly could to make myself good enough to go to this college. So I went and took the test again. This time, I was four points short. It got worse. That's not supposed to happen. Um, but it was OK, because I was like, I'll just take it again. So you guys, I took, like, the SAT or ACT, some combination of both, like, probably five or six times. Like, who does that, right? Like, nobody. Um, But I was so determined that I was going to make myself good enough to get into this college. Um, But despite how much I tried and tried and tried and tried to make myself good enough to do the right things um, and form the right study habits, I could not make the cut. Um, um, sorry, didn't mean to clear my throat in the mic. Um, At <laughs> that time, um, I was pretty bummed that like, I didn't get into this college. But now I'm like, okay, God had better plans. Like, who knows what I would have done after taking the full training class? Like, what do you actually do with that in real life? Um, so I'm really glad that I came here and got a major that um, I can actually use. Uh, so anyway, I want to ask you guys, has there ever been a time in your life when you have tried to make yourself good enough for something? So, maybe you felt pressure to make it on a sports team. Or maybe you have tried to get all A's in a class. Or maybe you've tried to live up to someone's expectations for you, like a parent or a friend who has high standards. You're trying to make yourself good enough to um, please them and have them accept you. Now, let me ask you a different question Have you ever tried to make yourself good enough for God? As I was thinking about this story, I realized that sometimes uh, we have this feeling of needing to be good enough for God. Like maybe if we just read our Bibles a little bit more, or prayed a little bit better, or focused more in church, maybe then God would like us more. And I mean like really like us, like not just accept us, but like really like us and enjoy us. And then sometimes I think we look around at other Christians and we're like, ooh, that person, they did a two-hour God time every day this week. I only did 30 minutes, like, twice. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, and we, like, start this comparison game of, like, oh, they're, like, the better Christian than me. And although a lot of us might not come out and say it, uh, there can be this unspoken pressure we place on ourselves to do just a little more so that God will love us a little more than he does right now. And let me tell you, friends, that is a very stressful way to live. And it is not at all the way that God wants us to live. In fact, that's why Jesus came and died for us, so that we wouldn't have to live that way. So tonight, this issue of uh, trying to be good enough for God, or in other words, like trying to add to what Jesus has already done for us on the cross, um, is the exact issue that Paul is talking about in chapter 4 of Romans. So if you would please um, open your Bibles. Oh, if uh, the Bible pastors want to come forward, if you guys don't have a Bible tonight, just like raise your hand, um, and you can borrow one of these for the night, or you can keep it. Uh, So open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, and I'm actually going to have Andrew Amos uh, read that for us. Awesome. Yeah, snaps for Andrew. Yeah, um, so before we like jump into this, I want to give you a little bit of background on uh, where Paul is coming from in this chapter. So as you can see he's talking a lot about Abraham, uh, which you might be like, wait a minute, why are we talking about Abraham? Because we're in the New Testament, so isn't he like back in Genesis? Um, well, yes, he is. So let me explain why we're talking so much about him. Um, in this chapter, Paul is an- addressing an argument between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Um, And it's really important to note that both these groups of people are believers. So, like, they believe that Jesus came to earth, died on the cross, rose again on the third day, and that he has covered them for their sins. Uh, However, the Jewish group of believers wanted everyone, including the Gentiles, to continue following the laws of the Torah. They wanted everyone to basically follow their rules. So these two groups are having this argument about, uh, essentially, if, who, which one is more Christian, or if you're more Christian if you follow the law than if you are not. They're trying to make themselves good enough for God. And Paul comes in, and he's like, no, 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 that's not right. Uh, following Jesus, your Savior, is enough. All you need to do to be saved is have faith in Him. You don't need to add anything to the gospel. And to address this argument, Paul goes back to the founder of the Jewish faith, who is Abraham. Now, Abraham is this guy who we do read about back in Genesis. Uh, and God formed a very special relationship with him. In Genesis, we read about how God made a covenant, or in other words, a promise with Abraham that one day he would make him the father of a great nation. Uh, that he would make him the father of a nation that is so big that like, you can't even count them. Uh, he says, as, as numerous as the stars. The only issue with that is that Abraham and his wife had no children, and at the time God told him this, they were about 100 years old. Okay, so I want you guys to do me a favor right now. Um, Everyone, please picture your grandma and grandpa. Okay, got them in your brains? Everyone see grandma and grandpa. Now imagine grandma's having a baby. Okay, pretty unlikely, right? Like, that's just not going to happen. But in this situation, like... That that's where Abraham and his wife were at. They were a hundred years old. Like, there's no way, uh, like by human means, that they could have a kid. However, when God told Abraham he was going to have kids, Abraham believed him, and God credited that to him as righteousness. So, in other words, all Abraham did was have faith that God would be true to His word, and because of that faith, God made him righteous. And in the end, Abraham did end up having a kid. Um, And had many descendants who became the nation of Israel. And this is why the Jews had so much respect for Abraham as the founder of their faith. Okay? So this is why uh, Paul Paul is talking so much about Abraham in this chapter. He uses Abraham's example of faith to show that what Jesus did on the cross is enough for our salvation. Uh, So that's just a little bit of the context about uh, where Paul is coming into in this uh, argument. So now I want us to jump in and see what Paul's argument actually looks like. So, if you guys would look at uh, look with me at verses one to eight. So here we see that the Jews are trying to argue that Abraham had to do some kind of good works in order to have a relationship with God, but Paul says that Abraham, or oops, sorry, <laughs> but Paul says that Abraham did nothing but trust God. Paul is saying that he was not justified, or in other words, he was not in good standing before God because of anything he did. Because Abraham didn't do anything. And honestly, if you, you guys, like, if we look at Abraham's life, he messed up a lot. Uh, there are times that he doubted God. There are times he was afraid. At one point, he was even like traveling through Egypt with his wife and... Uh, he was afraid that the Pharaoh of that country would like, see him with his wife and think his wife is like, really beautiful. And then he would like kill Abraham so he could have his wife. And so Abraham's like, well, I don't want to get killed, so let's just pretend she's my sister and Pharaoh can like, have her for a while. Okay, like, that's a horrible thing to do. Like He just gave up his wife. So he wasn't anything special. He was just a normal guy who had hopes and dreams and fears and mis- makes mistakes just like we do today. And all he did was say, Okay God, I believe you that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. And God credited this to him as righteousness. And this term credited um is kind of like a banking account or a banking term. So if you think of like a bank account, and then if there's no money in it, and then someone credits money to that account, then there's like money in the account. And so essentially God just like gifted this money to him. He or er, not money, he gifted the righteousness to him. So all Abraham did was have faith. And then God just said, "Okay, I will make that righteousness." And Paul's argument is saying that uh, it's the same as true for us today, that the and for the Jews back then, like they didn't need to do all these works to be saved; uh, Jesus was enough. So, if we look down at verses nine to twelve, uh, Paul goes on to counter their next argument. In these verses, the Jews were trying to say that the Gentiles had to be circumcised in order to count as real followers of Christ. So again, they're trying to add to the work that Christ did on the cross, saying, uh, believing in Jesus is not enough. You have to be circumcised too. So in this, Paul looks again at Abraham's life and says, well, wait a minute. Before you say everyone needs to be circumcised, do you see that Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness before he was circumcised? So God had this relationship, and God made this covenant with Abraham before Abraham was circumcised. Um, So Paul points out that if Abraham didn't have to do that, then they didn't need to either. And finally, if you look down at uh, verses 13 to 17, uh, we see the last argument that Paul makes. In this section, the Jews are saying, "Well, okay, maybe these other things like are all right, but we have the law and we uphold it, so we are better Christians than the people who do not do that. Like we have made ourselves better before God because we are keeping the law." So again, Paul takes them back to Abraham and he points out that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness long before God even gave the Israelites the law. Like, the law hadn't even, like, been given to them at this time. So there's no way Abraham could have been following it strictly, because he didn't even know what it was. So Abraham did not need to follow any set of rules to be counted as righteous. He just had faith, and God then credited that to him as righteousness. So you see, again and again and again, they're trying to add to the gospel. In the same way that I was trying to make myself good enough to get that scholarship and get into college, they were saying, you need to make yourself good enough so God will love you and so that God will accept you. They were taking the emphasis off what God already did and putting it on what we can do ourselves. And maybe for us today, the terms um, that they used, like works and circumcision and law, Maybe those don't quite register with us right away, right? Like, those aren't terms we use all the time. Um, My guess is that not very many of you thought this week, like, wow, if I just went and got circumcised, God would love me more. Like, right? That's weird, and we don't think that. (coughs) Um, Anyway, (laughs) so I want to put these in terms that might sound more familiar to us. When was last time you guys heard someone say, just be a good person or just do the right thing? Or maybe you have felt kind of guilty about a sin in your life, and so you're like, ooh, I'll go serve my friend, and then maybe God won't be so mad about that thing that I'm sinning in. Okay, these are the works that he is talking about. Um, It kind of goes back to what Cassidy was talking about last week with like that skin-deep goodness, just kind of like looking good and doing good things so that others and God will be impressed with us. Um, and like we don't think a lot about circumcision these days, but I bet a lot of us do have a mental checklist um, of things that might make God happier with us. So like, ooh, maybe if I go on this mission trip, check like God will be happy with that. Or maybe if I serve my friend by doing their dishes, check like God will like me more if I do that. So we get this idea that God is keeping score of how many good things we do. And probably a lot of us haven't read up on the requirements for how to sacrifice a lamb that are found in the law, right? Like, we don't read that often. But I bet we do fall into the trap of legalism all the time. For example, we might have this nagging feeling that if we don't read our Bible for exactly one hour every day, then maybe God will be disappointed with us. Or on the flip side, maybe we get really proud if like we haven't missed church in a long time. we get into this pattern of thinking that we have to do the right things and make ourselves good enough for God to love us. It's like we think God has a checklist and he's checking it off every time we do something good and when we do something bad we like get negative points. This sounds familiar to some of us doesn't it? But Paul is saying no this is the wrong way for us to think. Our salvation is not a matter of what we do or do not do. God cares so much more about our heart. And I want to make sure one thing is clear. Uh, The things I'm talking about, like praying and reading your Bible and going on mission trips, like those things are not inherently bad. (laughs) Like, please do those things. Those are really, really good things. Um, And they help us get to know God and get to know his heart better. And so we should be doing those. However, uh, what is bad is when you are doing them to try to earn salvation or to try to add to what God has already done for us on the cross. It's bad when we think that God has some kind of point system and is keeping track of how many good or bad things we have done. When we do these things, they should flow out of an understanding of what Christ has already done for us on the cross, and we should respond in love. So in this chapter, Paul is saying that Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross is enough. We cannot add to it by just doing good things. So we've talked a lot about uh, what things not to do, or like what attitudes not to have, right? But what should we do? What did Abraham do that made him such a good example? He had faith. It's as simple as that. I want to read verses 18 to 25 again. um, So if you guys want to look at that in your Bible. It says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope, This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were, not, or were, not, or were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him and raise Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That's it. Abraham believed that God would do what he said he would do. And just as Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness, so will ours be. And you know what's really cool, you guys? God says that uh, he will even give us faith that we need. If you look at Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, it says that faith is a gift from God also. So like, not only um, like, do we only just have to have faith, like God will even gift that faith to us. So like we can pray, and then God will give us the faith we need to believe in him. Like, that's amazing. It's as free of a free gift as it can possibly be. So who, who are we having faith in? Um, we're having faith in Jesus. We've learned so far in the series on Romans that we are all sinners. Every single one of us is equally guilty in our standing before God. We've all done wrong. We've also learned that Jesus came as an atonement for our sin. He died in our place and took the punishment that we deserve. But he didn't stay dead— He rose from the grave and defeated sin, and all we have to do is confess our sins to him, repent, and he will forgive us. We cannot make ourselves good enough for God. We cannot add to the gospel. We can't be nice enough, we can't serve enough, we can't be faithful enough, we can't read our Bibles enough or pray enough or do anything to be good enough for God. But that is okay Because all God asks us to do is have faith in Jesus and what he has already done on the cross. And even that faith he will give to us. Well, our culture is a culture that says, do just a little bit more. Be just a little bit more. Work harder. You're almost good enough. That is not true in our relationship with God. We don't have to live with the constant pressure of trying to be good enough for him. God says, it is finished. He died on the cross, and he rose again. He did the work for you, and he says, now come rest in me. Um, If I can get the worship team to come up, that would be great. In response tonight, I want you to think about where you are in your walk with God. Are you in the position that the Jews were? Are you thinking, if I just do a little more, then maybe God will like me better? Maybe I'll be more saved that way? Are you treating your relationship with God like a college entrance exam? If you study a little bit more, read a little more, pray a little more, maybe then you'll be good enough for him to accept you. Well, if that's you, there is good news. The pressure is off. You cannot make God love you more than he does right at this very moment. No matter what you do, you can't make him love you anymore, and he already loves you infinitely more than you can even imagine. Christ died for us while we were still sinners, not after we got our life together. Or maybe tonight, you're someone who has given up trying to please God. You figure that he is too great and his expectations are too high for you to ever love him you think that if we knew how much sin you had in your life, that we would realize that you were too far gone for God to do anything. And so you've just adopted the attitude of, like, why try? If that is you tonight, let me encourage you with this. Our God is the God who makes it possible for 100-year-old people to have babies. Our God is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. If he can do that, I think he can handle your sin. So tonight, as we worship, I want you to do a couple of things. First, I want you to pray and to repent of sin. And second, I want you to pray for faith to believe that Jesus has forgiven you. Because he has you guys, if we just repent, like, he has forgiven you so much. um, And he loves you so much. And then third, as we worship, I want us to just praise God for his work on the cross. Like, he is so good, you guys. He died for you and loves you so much. Okay, so let's just rejoice and praise the Lord tonight um, and praise him that he is a God who says it is finished.